there are some things that just brings a lot of pressure into your life, right? Anybody ever been there, had pressure? <laughs> lots of pressure, lots of things going on. Uh, tonight's a real easy one for you. It's called temptation. I don't know. Oh, y'all have already been there, huh? Okay. Got the right crowd tonight. Got the right group of people. Praise God. Hallelujah. Y'all all remember the Lord's Prayer, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's a principle of prayer that you need in your life. When we're talking about the pressure point, temptation, we need to pray that kind of prayer. Lead us not into temptation because it's, temptation really doesn't come outside of us. It, it comes from inside of us. Turn to James, if you will. And we're going to look at it tonight, temptation. How does it work in our life? What, what makes it bring such pressure? And why, why can you be an overcomer? Why can you be a believer who lives, who overcomes the temptation? In the churches I raised up in, they had a common saying. You can't keep the bird from flying over your head, but you can keep him from building a nest there. Praise God. There are going to come thoughts and temptations into your life that you know you shouldn't have or shouldn't be dealing with. They're going to come, but you can learn how to overcome them and how to change that in your life. Praise God. James 1, I want to, uh, just want to point out verse 8. It says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So the Bible really encourages us to understand and get our minds settled. See, we're born again in the spirit, but in the mind is where a lot of the battle takes place. And he says, get your mind settled on the right thing. Get your focus in the right area. Because we're going to look at where the pressure comes from temptation as we look in verse uh, 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life. That is our goal. That is our motivation, is we're going to have a crown of life. We're going to enter into heaven. We're going to stand before the throne of God. We're going to stand there with the elders and, the, and, and, and all the, the seraphs and the cherubs and all the ten orders of angels and all those things. And we're going to stand there right before the throne of God itself with Christ being seated on the right hand of the Father, and we want to be there in the right direction because he says they're going to have crowns of life. And you receive the crown of life when you endure temptation. or It's just as good to say when you overcome, you go through, and you come out good on the other side. Amen? Praise God. So here it says, uh, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he will receive a crown of life, which the Lord has promised to them that love him. So we're seeing there's a battle. We all know there's a battle. And the battle in your life is called temptation. We're not all tempted alike. We're tempted in like fashion, but not all the same temptations. The temptation, of course, increases in your life according to what you've been doing, what you've been giving yourself into. You know, for the drug addict, it's the temptation. For the alcoholic, it's the temptation because they've been feeding that in their life. but They're needing something to help them overcome that. So blessed is the man who endures it and comes out not having partaken of it, not having done it, because there's no condemnation because you didn't do it. You see, I, I learned a long time ago that there's some things I didn't do, and I have no condemnation for that. The devil comes to me, Dell, what about that? Well, I've never done it, so I don't have any condemnation, you know. The devil never will accuse you or tempt you or bring these things into your life uh, except you have some, some, uh, something invested in it or some dealing in it or something that's in you that draws you to that thing, as we're going to find in this scripture tonight. And it says, 
Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good and perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the fathers of light, lights with whom is no variance, neither shadow of turning. Temptation. What a pressure point. There was a businessman who decided he wasn't going to go to the bakery anymore because of temptation. He was going to avoid that. But one day he goes driving by the bakery and he comes back into the office with a real nice big cake with all the stuff on it. And everyone in the office said, we thought you wasn't doing that. And why you, you know, what's going on? Why? And he goes, well, it's, this is not what you think. This is really the Lord's cake. This is what? He says, yeah. So when I was passing that bakery <laughs> and I saw in the window that really scrumptious cake, I told the Lord, Lord, if there's a parking place I can pull in right in front of that bakery, I know it's your will to buy that cake. And he said on the seventh time around, sure enough, there was a parking spot. We've all been there, right? You've been there the seventh time around? Well, that's how temptation works, and we're going to look at this tonight. Uh, there's a blessing for enduring and overcoming temptation. Temptation brings great uh, power into our life. It's so inviting to us personally. Whatever your temptation is, it's very inviting to you personally. Because as you enter into sin, there develops such an appetite for sin. You know, if you're like me, you'd sit down and eat one piece of cake, and then another piece of cake, another. Pretty soon the whole cake's gone. When your wife comes home, you throw that thing in the trash, carry the bag out. That's how temptation works. It knows no boundaries in our life unless we start doing what Jesus did and do what the, the apostles did and do what the Word of God says in our life, we'll begin to see the boundaries because they're set. Uh, because our, in the natural man, there isn't a boundary because there's an appetite born into man that has the desire that makes the temptation. There's... Millions and billions probably of people who have, who don't fight with uh, watching porn on the internet because they don't even have internet. They don't hear about that, but they have other things they deal with, you know. It's whatever you feed is what you're going through. And so that's what the Bible is saying here is it's kind of a, a simple point. But the, re the power of the temptation is it starts inside. It starts inside. The outside can't affect it unless the inside is already working and desiring it. And Christ's way of handling and enabling you to overcome temptation and enduring temptation is working on the inside. The work of Christ is always on the inside. And the work of Christ is always to perfect you, always to make you whole, to make you uh, free, and to deliver you. Christ always brings freedom into our life. And that's freedom from the things that we have in our life or the things that have been put in our life to have freedom from all those things. A lot of temptations come from other things that we we have a, a great hurt or something, whatever, and then we start turning to different things to try to feel that. Those are things that are there, but we need to realize that, hey, this is the reason. This is the cause. 
Then when they get the word of God, say, okay, God, what does your word say about that? What are you saying, Lord, on this? What is the spirit of God saying about that? Does it say I have to be like that all my life or can I be different? And I found in Christ we can always be different. We're never bound to what we were. Paul, of course, was a murderer of Christians before he became the Apostle Paul. You think that's not a change? When he was doing it, he said he was very zealous. So um, in our life, we sometimes get consumed by things, but if we allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to penetrate our hearts... And we take and put that word in us and begin to stand and, and to make that temptation stand afar from us, it begins to lose its hold on us. Temptation left off to itself becomes farther away from you. It becomes less effective. It loses its power and eventually it's held there and, and it's like, it's never really had that hold in your life. And that's what he's saying here. Let no man say I'm tempted of God. Let no man say that, God, you answered my prayer. I drove around seven times, and you had that parking spot for me. He says that's not the attitude that we're to have towards temptation. We're not to have the attitude that, oh, God, if this is your will, do this and that. You know, no, the Lord gives us his will through his word and by the spirit of God. It comes to anointed men and women of God who preach the word to us, who teach the word to us. But God will speak to you personally in his word. He'll open it up. The Holy Spirit will work in your life. And not only that, he gives you an inward witness fighting against the inward power and pressure of temptation. We all know about diets and how little they work. Well, not all of you. Some of you are skinny. But <laughs> most of us know there's, there's, it, it takes a lot. But, and you also know there seems like if you hold that off for a while, pretty soon you act like, I, I really don't want that anymore. You know what I mean? The longer you do, the less you desire it. And that's the way temptation works. The, I'm using food because it's so common, but there's many other things you're dealing with. And God wants to deliver you out of all those. Temptation is going to come. The Bible refers to the great temptation, and that was Christ. Christ had such an inward battle against what was going to happen. It said that we, he was in the garden at his he prayed, and he prayed three hours, three times, which was uncommon for him because he's used to praying and getting the immediate answer. But he kept praying, God, let this cup pass from me. What was his temptation? He was tempted not to do the will of God. He was tempted as a man not to die. He was tempted not to be the sacrifice and the offering forever for everybody's sin. He was tempted to not go through that. So temptations, as we're going to see, takes many different forms. Goes through many different a avenues, but it faces you in all of your life. And uh, God doesn't tempt us, but he said we're tempted when we're drawn away of our own lust. That's what James is saying. You know, you're drawn away. Here at church, sometimes it seems easy, but you may still be drawn away. At work, it may be hard because you're separated already. You're not hearing the Holy Spirit speak. You might not be remembering the Word of God that God has set there to deliver you and to bring you through those things. Christ, knowing His Word and knowing the will of the Father, even though He was praying against the temptation not to do the will of God, He still was facing it. Like I say, the bird flying over your head is one thing, but don't let it build a nest. He was striving, it said, against temptation, basically, 
till his sweat became as great drops of blood. It's always been my persuasion and my belief it was easy for Christ to hang up on the cross. It was easy for him to be bitten and underneath the deal compared to the garden experience where he faced the temptation. By the time he got there and they began to beat him with a cat of nine tails and push the crown of thorns in his head and, and uh, pluck his beard and slap him and correct him and he fell underneath the weight of the cross and they drove the spikes in his hands and in his feet and they pierced him in the side. I think all that was settled in the garden. And a word to the wise, if you're fighting temptation, fight it in the garden. Fight it in your time when you're with God. Fight it in the throne of God. Take the word of God and begin to fight it there before him like Christ. He showed us a great example of how to come through. He endured it. He says he endured the cross. just like you're to endure the temptation, but he didn't give in to it. God has given you tools. I think it's 2 Corinthians 10, 5, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're spiritual. They're mighty through God to pulling down strongholds. The strongholds is in our heart and mind a lot of times, and what God has given us is mighty to get that done. I mean, we were all corrupt. There's no exemptions. <laughs> but that don't mean we all stay corrupt. We were all under sin, but the Bible doesn't refer to the believer as a sinner, but as a saint, as the redeemed, as the purchase of God. So that lets me know there is a way to endure temptation and come out good on the other side. Because if you don't, you're just going to give in to it, and you're just going to see, you know, pretty soon you'll be parking four blocks from that bakery and walking over there getting the cake, you know. <laughs> You'll be making plans way ahead, you know. You'll be sitting there in the morning two hours before it opens. That's how temptation works when you give in to it. Because what you feed is what's going to rule. What you're putting in, it's going to come through. So the secret is putting in his word. The secret is getting before God and let the Holy Spirit just check your life. He'll do it. He knows how to bring you to righteousness. He knows how to clear, clean you from ungodliness. I don't know, but he does. So you don't know. He'll show you. He'll deliver you. He'll bring you through. So I invite you this week as you're, as you're taking time to seriously get before the Lord like in the garden experience. And say, God, this is where I'm at. What does your word say? You may have to look up something on the Internet. You may have to see what the Word says on that and take and study it. Yes, yeah, the Holy Spirit, go through me, check me. Reveal to me. Lord, show me those things. And he's faithful. God is faithful. First, he's faithful and just to, to cleanse you, but he's also faithful and just to equip you to do the calling of God in your life. He's faithful to empower you to be a child of God. It's one of the first principles of John 1.12 says, but you shall receive power after you become sons of God. Powers to become sons of God, not after you become. You receive power to become sons of God. It takes power above us and beyond us to allow us to be a son of God, to live the word of God to walk in love and peace with ourselves and each other and, and everything, to operate in love. It takes more than that. You know, it, it takes something to love the unlovable, you know. It just does. It takes something to have faith that God's going to work in their lives and your life and, and to see those things, you know, and, and to take a good approach. And when you see God's Word say this and this and this, begin to take hold of it. Now, first of all, and a lot of people look at it differently, but James plainly says, let no man say when he is tempted of God, uh, tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot tempt with evil, neither tempteth he any man. God, there's no evil in heaven. 
Again, the Lord's Prayer. You're to pray. Your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We're wanting the same kind of thing in our lives as being done in heaven. There's an element that's not in heaven. There's sin, sin nature in us. But God, through the cross and through his resurrection, his blood offered upon the most holy place gives you power to overcome. See, the believers are not called the ones that were run over. The believers are called the overcomers. And the first thing you're really going to overcome in your life is that temptation. The first thing you're going to endure and come out the other side clean and pure and holy is that temptation. You know, the Word of God will work in you. And I know I'm saying the Word a lot, but it meant a lot. And uh, I was telling somebody the other day, I was, about, I was an angry young man because of things in life. But one of the first things when I got saved, I, was, I found out there it said, be angry and sin not. Anger comes from lack of understanding. And I began to ponder those things. I began to think about those things. And you know what? It changed me from that temptation. Now I'm not one that would fly off the handle or one that would be angry at something or be mad. And, you know, even if I'm mistreated, I'm probably not going to be mad because it's just not the way I react anymore. And it's not because I was that way in the beginning. It's because the Word of God has had its work in my life. That temptation is held off. It doesn't mean I'm not capable of doing it. It just means it's held off. It's held away. Look at Romans 8, 13 through 15. Romans 8, 13 through 15. I know this won't be as good as when pastor's teaching this, but I want to speak into your spirit, man, speak into, your, into you to have the things God wants in your life. Um, I want to speak into you what the Spirit of God is, is saying and how he's wanting to work in your life and to encourage you to take hold of it, exhort you to take and say, hey, I can be that. First, you begin to set that in, in your mind, and it says here, in Romans eight thirteen through 15, for if we live after the flesh, you shall die. Rule number one, after the flesh dies. Why? Because all flesh dies. That's the best you can hope. It's going to work death in your life. Doesn't necessarily mean you'll die, but things in you start to die whenever... You start living after the flesh. But if you, through the Spirit, do mortify, mortify the deeds of uh, the body, you will, live. you will live. Whoa, isn't that a good promise? Say, Brother Dell, I've been going to that bakery ten times a day. You mean, <laughs> you mean there's a way away from that? Mortifying the deeds of the flesh. Some of you say, well, what does that mean, mortify? I don't know. Is that some word I don't even understand? One way to explain it is like when they set this rock up here, the, the lines in there are mortar. And sometimes when you start, when you're building a wall and you, you mix that mortar, it's wet and squishy. It doesn't look like it's going to do much. A matter of fact, if you built that whole wall, it took them a while to build these walls because of the weight of the block would push all the mortar out. So they can only build like a couple of feet a day or three maybe on that whole wall. They'll build it that high and next day after that mortar sets up, they can go again, and then it sets up, and then they go again. What is it doing? The mortar is setting up. 
In the beginning, you may think, I'm taking that word of God. I'm believing God. I've heard what the Spirit of God is going to say in my life, and I want that thing to cease. I'm going to hold it away from me. I'm going to set it apart. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to drive as far away from that bakery as I can because I don't want this in my life anymore. So the first day, you lay that row, and you put that mortar in there, and the next day you go by, you do the same thing. You've laid another. And as you begin to say that, this wall in the first day, if they'd laid it and as much as they could, you could have pushed it over. A child could have went up and went against it and pushed that thing over. Why? It's almost like we are. We're not fully convinced at first. We're not fully persuaded of the Word of God that it is able to do what it do. But as you hold it there, as you put it in there and you let it build up there, then you become, oh, yeah. And then, you, then when you come back there in about a week, that thing is set up solid. And 10 guys can't push the wall over where a child could have done it at first. And that's the way the Spirit of God, and that's what Paul is saying, mortify the deeds of the flesh. We're all going to have to deal with the flesh as long as we're here. What can we do about it? We can mortify it. We can take that temptation and set it away from us. And if you'll hold it out there and you'll, you need some help, ask God. Ask the Holy Spirit. Get in the Word of God. The Word of God gives you great understanding and authority and gives you a position of power concerning temptation. Why did Jesus endure such a temptation on the cross? He knew the will of Father. If he had not been absolutely convinced that it was God's will for him to be the sacrifice, if he had not been absolutely convinced that it is God's will for him to be the offering once and for all for sin, he wouldn't have endured the cross. He wouldn't have despised the shame. And uh, because he did those things, he's seated on the right hand of the Father, making what for us? Do you know what Jesus is doing today? How many know it? How many know what Jesus is doing today? He's doing something. He's making intercession for you before the Father. See, not only do we have the Word, not only do we have the Spirit to lead and guide and, and to convince us of sin, but we have Jesus praying for us. I don't know about you, but I think that's the most powerful prayer there is, the one that Jesus prays. But he's praying for you that you would be an overcomer, that you'd be delivered from those drugs and set apart and you'd be holding yourself out. You'll be delivered from uh, any kind of uh, other sins, sexual sins or whatever it is in your life. You'll be delivered from those things and they'll be set apart. See, God has always had that in his plan. Do y'all remember the scarlet thread that hung out the window by the prostitute who Israel, the Israelis were spying out, and she saved them, and she said, let my household be saved. And he said, everyone's in there going to be saved. That room didn't fall down when the rest of the wall fell down. They didn't destroy them. But she ends up being in the lineage of Christ. Now, is that redemption? See, Christ doesn't care where we come from. He doesn't care what you've been through, but he is praying that you be delivered, that you uh, overcome temptation in your life. You be delivered from those things that would bind you and destroy you and bring you to death. That's what he's interceding for us. He is a mediator between God and man. He is there before God basically pleading your case. But not as just dealing with sin. He's pleading your case dealing with temptation and deliverance from it. 
See, God is not an unwise man or person that he doesn't realize that he first deals with the root. And in our lives, he's dealing with the inside. He's not just dealing with the outward actions. He's dealing with the inside. The full redemption of Christ is always to redeem you so that those things that would be the temptation in your life, you're delivered from. You become a new creature in Christ Jesus. You become a creature, a newborn creature from God with the ability to overcome and to be free from those temptations. And there's many different ways we can be tempted. Many different things we can go in. It says here in verse 14 of Romans 8, for as many are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby you cry, Abba, Father, Daddy, Father. See, in us, we begin to know, if you begin to hear what God's saying, and you do what, when you're born again, you're first born again, it's like something happens, you go, God, help me. God, do this. You know, Father, Father, Abba, Father, Daddy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm your child. I'm in the middle of this thing, and I need your help. We never really outgrow that. We're always going to need God's help, and we always need to cry out. See, God, deliver us from the evil. Deliver us from that which our soul hates, but yet we do. Just like the bakery's not going to stop making cakes because you can't resist. But you can overcome where you don't have to have that cake. Well, you can be delivered from that because you set your affections on things above and not on things in the earth. Your battle is not here. It's your battle's up here. If you want to win, fight up here. As Jesus got in the garden and began to pray, he was fighting up here. He wasn't fighting down here. The disciples were all fighting down here, and they were asleep and failing. Jesus was fighting up here. He was fighting in the spirit. They were trying to fight the flesh and keep from going to sleep. He kept waking them up. Later on, they were able to overcome that because the Holy Spirit had entered into them and gave them those kind of things. No longer do we have a spirit of bondage. If you're a believer, God has empowered you to be free. He says, don't entangle yourselves, but if you have... Get, deal with that thing. Say, God, I need this out of my life. I need to put that away. I need to get that away from me. You may have to change some friends in order to avoid some, some temptation. And, and there are ways of doing that, of, of doing those things. So uh, when, when temptation is... Conceived, it brings forth sin. I like that. In uh, verse uh, 15, then when lust has been conceived, it brings forth sin. Most people don't realize, but you just don't go out and sin. You think about it. You begin to look at it. We have the proverbial apple in the garden or the fruit. They started looking at it. They started looking at it. And the deception of sin, when you get to looking at it, it becomes more appealing. It looks more exciting. Have you ever for years looked at something and then all of a sudden you do it and then you feel like, man, that's not what I thought it would be. Because sin, a lot of times, is even disappointing when you get there. Sin is not as great as your mind has made it up to be, as a temptation has made it seem. 
when you actually get down to it, a lot of times you're very disappointed because it's not there. See, the, the battle in, our, in us is in our hearts and in our mind. In the spirit, it moves on up to the next level, and our battle becomes we begin to pray in the spirit. We begin to read the God, word of God, and we begin to do what Jesus did as he was praying in the garden. We begin to take and remind God of his word and take the God, word into our life, and it does something in our life. It changes us. That's why the Bible says put on the mind of Christ. Begin to think like Christ. Begin to battle in the same way. Our weapons are not carnal. They're not natural. I mean, you can set your alarm clock to get up and pray every morning at 3 o'clock. There's a good chance just doing that you're going to be falling back to sleep. One guy, he was decided, you know, he's going to study the Word of God so many hours a day, and he said he kept falling asleep. And the way he solved it, he went and sat on the side of the bathtub and started reading the Word of God. <laughs> it was going to hurt if he, uh, if he fell asleep, right? Sometimes you have to make yourself uncomfortable. And that's what the Scripture talks about, fasting and prayer. It makes our body uncomfortable, but it empowers our man. It breaks off bondages in our life. It looses us from bands of wickedness and undoes the heavy burdens. It also enables us to pray the prayer of faith and enables us to be in a, in a good position to pray the things of God. Praise God. In um, the 11th chapter of Hebrews, just back to the left a little ways, 11th chapter of Hebrews, uh, I think it's verse 37. This is the faith chapter. Y'all have all read the faith chapter, hopefully, about all the great men of faith. So he gets down, and he's talking about more or less the normal great believers, <laughs> those that weren't even named by name, but they were believers who, who knew something, who understood something. But look what they did. said so they were stoned and sawed asunder. He doesn't mention them by name, but look what the next word is. They were tempted. They were tempted. If you want to be in the hall of fame along with the men of faith and women of faith, they were tempted to what happened. They were tempted and were slain with a sword, but they didn't give up. They went through it. There's been books written on it concerning verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. See, the world and all the things that happen in the world and all the flesh and all the deeds of the flesh and all those things, they're not worthy of the believer who will overcome temptation. Many of the early believers were tempted to denounce Christ and not die. Jesus was tempted to not go through with it, Right? Many times you're tempted not to do the will of God because we're all going to face that. If you start doing what God wants you to do, there's going to come temptation. It's going to say, oh, you're too tired. You're just worn out. You're too busy. You know, you're old and you need to set back. But the young people do it. The young people say, I don't know enough. I want that crowd that's just right. The crowd who says, I can do all things through Christ Jesus. I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. I'm a believer. I'm an overcomer. I've been purchased by the blood of Christ. And there is nothing in this world, nothing of the enemy, nothing that he has, any method, means, or temptation or thing he brings in my life, I'm not able to overcome. That's what the believer understands and believes. That's what the believer does in his private time in the garden. He overcomes before he faces the temptation. He has already set his mind in his heart, and he's already ordered the things in his life that he might be an overcomer. 
He's already prepared for the battle and ready to overcome. He knows the battle is going to be tough, but he knows God is able to equip us and make us and create in us and put in us and able to do in us his will, his plan, and everything that he has purposed. He is able to keep us from the day of evil. He is able to deliver us from our own selves. That's the kind of God I have. And that's how God wants to be in your life. Praise God. Don't be overcome by the temptation, but overcome the temptation. In Titus chapter 2, Titus is right before Hebrews. So if you're in Hebrews, get the book right before it. It's, two, it's another book, Fleming. It's in between. Titus 2, verses 11 through 14. To get the right one, God's on the wrong verse. Okay, listen to this. For the grace of God brings salvation. Everything Christ did was to bring you salvation. Salvation is simply you are rescued. You are, you become God's property. You are delivered from all that's going to happen in the world. We know that sin ultimately ends in death, and you're going to be delivered from death, so you should also be delivered from the power of sin in your life. It's the early form of death. It's the early symptoms that you're dying. It's the early symptoms that you're in trouble is sin. But even before that, it's the thoughts and the meditation of your heart. When you set your thoughts and meditation of your heart upon that sin, You're probably going to fail if all you think about, I don't need to do drugs, I don't need to do drugs, or I don't need to kill that guy, or I don't need to do, you know, if if that's all you're thinking, you're probably not going to overcome. If you think, God, you didn't give me a spirit that's murdering You didn't give me bitterness in my heart just because I'm done wrongly. God said he takes all that stuff, those have been abused, those have been uh, through all kinds of troubles and divorces and all these things. He says, take all that, he says, and I bring it up. I work my grace in there. I take the power of the cross and the forgiveness of sin, the cleansing of the thoughts, the cleansing of these things, that I might set you rightly upon a high place, that you might be to him a king and a priest. See, God doesn't change the definition of king and priest to fit you. He changes you to fit the definition. Y'all believe that? That's all God wants to do. He wants to change us to fit the real definition. This is how we overcome sin. This is how we walk out of where we were at into where we're going. The Bible says you're translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I've always seen that God will make quantum leaps. You're here and then you're here. If you'll seek him, if you'll ask him, if you'll apply his word, you may be here, but you suddenly you're here. That was the experience they had. They were here, but now they're here. The disciples were feeling so powerless in that upper room. They were hiding. They didn't have anything to give out. They were totally worn out in their mind, but a few seconds, as soon as that Holy Spirit come in there, what happened to them? They changed the whole world. Not only where they were at, there wasn't even countries safe. There wasn't even nations, developed or undeveloped. They went everywhere changing everybody. Where the second before it happened, they were so defeated. 
That's why it says you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. It's power to be that overcomer. It's power to live that life. It's power to overcome temptation. As the scripture tells us, we're always going to have temptation. But also, everything in the scripture tells us we should overcome. And God's making us more than conquerors, making us more than able. Praise God. And looking in in, uh, Titus, it says, For the grace of God brings salvation hath appeared to all men. Some of you don't know the Lord here tonight, but the grace of God's appearing to you. It's here. It's right before your eyes. You're saying, I'm wanting that kind of change. It's here tonight. It's going to be here Sunday morning. That's the grace of God. It's appearing to all men, believers and non-believers. Christ is showing himself. God is showing off what Christ has done. It teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. What does grace teach you? To deny ungodliness and worldly lust. That we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. See, Christ's secret was this. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. See, technically speaking, y'all are not U.S. citizens. You got a work visa now, but you're heavenly citizens. Not only are you citizens, you got an inheritance in everything that God has. You got an inheritance in the kingdom of God. You got an inheritance in righteousness. You got an inheritance of an overcomer and a believer and a child of God and one who brings forth the things of God into the earth and seeing, praying the will of God into the earth. You have an inheritance. If we're not careful, we'll be living the other way. Our citizenship is not of this world. That's what they asked Christ. They said, are you going to set up your kingdom now? He says, my kingdom is not of this world. I think he, knew, he knows a lot better than a lot of people. He knew a lot better than the disciples knew. Because they was wondering, you know, are you going to set it up now? Is it going to now? now? And, and, God said, and Christ said, why should I put my kingdom in this world? See, you're not right here right now. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You're in the throne of, by the throne of God on the right hand, the favored side of the Father, in the very presence of God. Praise God. That's what the Word of God teaches us. It says, and looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. I just want to show you in the third chapter of, of, uh, of Revelation, which is the last book in the Bible. I don't think they've added any more. But when I read them, I read about the churches. Every church, every person has that potential. God doesn't make you without that potential. When God puts in you his seed, his seed has every bit of that potential. I was teaching the men the other night. The same seed that fell on the wayside, it was the same seed that fell on the rocky ground, was the same seed that fell on the thorny ground was the same seed that fell on the good ground, and on the good ground there was the same seed brought forth 30, 60, 100 fold. On the rocky ground, it didn't bring forth any fruit. It sprung up. On the hardened ground that had been trampled on, it never came up. The type of the demons come and snatched it away. See, the devil wants to immediately steal the word from you. If he does that, he doesn't have any battle left to do because he's already won. Do not let the devil steal the word of God in your life. Do not let the devil steal the promises of God, the faith of God, the things that God has put in your heart. Don't let him steal it, but you take hold of that. You begin to use that as a sword of the spirit and begin to win and have victories.
See, God will take the stones out of your heart and put it in a heart of flesh, it says. He'll, I don't know if you've ever, the example I gave is if you go down here and you go down there and you see where they're planting fields, y'all ever see those little roads where they drive back and forth with their trucks and their tractors and they never grow anything there? That's what the wayside is. It's something, it's a life that's trampled on or traveled on by all kinds of people or whatever, and it's just run over and run over and just gotten hard. But let me tell you, if you set your plow down in that road and you plow it up and you disc it and you plant it and let it be watered, it's going to bring forth just like the good ground is there all around it. It's not that the ground was even different. It was what had happened to it. But Christ said, I come to remove from you the reason and then put in you the reason to succeed. He wants to remove from us every reason we can have to staying at either wherever we're at or staying in the same old thing we've been in. That's what Christ came to do. See, he wasn't surprised when he found you there. And he's not taken back that you need deliverance from there. He's not saying, oh, no, that's too hard for me. No. He says, everyone that comes to me, I'm going to give them something. I'm going to make them an overcomer. As it says here in Revelation, uh, in verse, the whole, the one is to... Uh, Verse, let's go to verse, uh, I think it's 17. I wrote, my, I wrote it in my notes someplace. Bad news, I'm just on page one. Revelation 3.10. It says, fear none of those things which you shall suffer. And I can't teach on the pressure of temptation without associating suffering with it. Back to the cake. How many would you like to be that kind of person can eat everything they want 20 times a day and still be skinny? I had an ex-sister-in-law like that. That girl could eat big plates. And she was, you know, 110 pounds. Fear none of those things you're going to suffer. The thing about temptation and the pressure of it, you have to suffer because on the inside there's two things working. You and the desire for it that you've built up. But that's what Christ comes to purchase us and redeem us and make us like Jesus. That's what the Word does. It penetrates and gives us reasons to be an overcomer. It gives us understanding that, hey, that temptation is going to come next week. I better get ready today. If you don't think it's coming next week, you're, you're being foolish. The wise man builds his house upon the rock. He builds it upon everything that Christ spoke or did Everything that's been spoken through the Spirit of God, the wise man builds his house. Because one day there's coming a hard rain in all of our lives. So good to come out the other side. It's so good not to be overcome and washed out. There's no feeling like that. That's what it says. And putting on the whole armor of God, the last scriptures is, and after having overcome all, Stand. When you've been through it all, when you've endured the temptation, when you've taken the word of God and you haven't given in, you, have, you can stand having overcome. You stand as a redeemed of God. You stand as his child, the purchase of God, purchased by his blood and by the agony that he had in the garden when he was suffering against sin. When he was toiling against it, he's taught us to also do the same thing. 
And this one says, fear none of those things. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into the prison. There's temptation there. That you may be tried. And you shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. Praise God, a crown of life. I just want to refer to Jesus was tempted in all manner of temptation like we are. The best believer you know is not your example. There are an example, but not yours. Yours is Christ. And it needs to be in our hearts tonight. Whatever Christ was able to go through, I'm going to be able to go through in my life. What is going to be the cross and the things I suffer, I'm going to go through it. Because I'm going to set my heart. And you begin to set your heart and you take the word of God and you say, Father, this is your will. This is what you want me to be. And no longer be that alcoholic. God, you're going to have to do something inside me. Deliver me from the temptation. You pray that prayer, God, do something in me. Deliver me from the temptation. One of the most powerful scriptures I've prayed with many, many people is Isaiah 12, Isaiah 26, 12 through 14. And it says this, other lords have had dominion over me. Or in other words, other things have made me do this. I've recognized that. I'm influenced by that. I've been held captive by it. He says, But Jesus, you're the only one I'm going to call Lord. See, when you call on the Lord in the day of your temptation, you will be delivered. Remember, church, call on the name of the Lord. You might as well be happy coming out. It may be a battle going in, but I'd rather be uh, bringing in the sheaves rejoicing than down in the gutter on Skid Row. (coughs) Down at the drug house, shooting heroin or whatever. I'd rather be overcomer. Other lords have had dominion over me, but you, Jesus, you're my Lord. says, they are dead and they're not going to rise. They're dead. They're dead to me. They're not going to rise. They've had power in my life, but Jesus, you're my Lord now. You can't have two masters. And you make Jesus your master, then in comes the power of God. So they're dead, they're not going to rise again, and the Lord's going to make even their memory to perish. Praise God. Can you say in your heart tonight, I'm going to be an overcomer? And it simply says in all the churches, to him that hear, to him that overcomes, to him that does, they overcome by three things. The blood of the Lamb, because the blood of the Lamb cleanses you from the inside. It's God's acceptable way to deal with sin. I sinned, but I also have applied the blood, and the blood of Christ was worthy to do away with the sin. Not that, the penalty of that sin, he took on the cross and he went to hell with it. And they overcome by the word of their testimony. Their testimony was Christ in me, working in me, doing in me to be all that God has called me to be. And lastly, they didn't love their life unto death. So don't get caught up in this life. Get caught up in his. Remember, you're not a citizen here. Remember, we're running a race. We're doing things in the kingdom of God. Get involved. Get your heart, your mind, your soul involved in doing something for God, and you won't have as much time for that sin to spend all your day thinking about it. Put your heart and your affection upon him, and he'll start cleansing you and changing you and making you a different creature than what you were. Call upon the Holy Spirit. He will empower you to be an overcomer. God's never wanted his children to be bound put under or defeated. He's all want us to be above only and not beneath. 
We've seen this in this body of Christ when pastor come here and begin to preach to us the blessings of giving tithes and offering. We look around and we got a bunch of blessed people in this church. You might as well be blessed in the inward man. You might as well be blessed and get out of that condemnation and get over into the liberty that's in Christ Jesus and walk free from the power of the enemy in your life. Amen? Amen. Praise God. If y'all want to stand with me, God's going to lead a song. And if you want to get the children in, coming in, I just want to pray with you just for a moment. Heavenly Father, just as Jesus prayed for his disciples, Lord, we pray for the believers here tonight, God. Father, they be more than conquerors. They be more than overcomers, Lord. That the word of God becomes a sword in their life, God. That they become aggressive towards sin to hold it at a distance, God. As they let the word of God empower them and the spirit of God speak into their lives, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that you're making intercession for each one here, God. Many are going through such a turmoil in their life, God, that Jesus, we're asking tonight that you speak into their hearts and their life, that the grace of God would come in, Lord, and it be more than enough, for your grace is the power of Christ upon us to enable us, to equip us, to make us, to help us to become like Christ and be what he was in the world. We thank you, Lord God, that you have redeemed this group of people, Lord. They were bought by your blood, God, and were delivered from the enemy and all of his power. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.